the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, the Friday show. Whenever I say that, I think it means that we finished another week. Time is flying by. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is the Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, maybe questions about church. I've got a couple of those. Whatever is on your heart, all you need to do is to provide the phone call. 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I want to remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Man, have we got a lot going on this weekend. I would appreciate everybody's prayers. Tonight, I'm going to be teaching Philippians chapter 4. This is our next to the last Bible study in the Friday night series that we're doing through uh, Philippians. So in chapter 4 tonight, I'm not going to get much of it. I'm going to get verses 8 through 13 is all. And it's really, really, really good stuff. So that's tonight here. You can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com or you can join us in person if you'd like. Um, Tomorrow I'll have our pastor's discipleship class and our Saturday morning prayer. Uh, And then on Sunday... I'll be teaching in the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 5. And then after that, we have a wedding. I have the privilege and honor of marrying two kids that I've watched grow up in this church. And I'm thrilled for them. It's just a great, great time. So lots going on. And uh, serving God is fun. Serving God is fun. Well, let's get to questions while we await any phone calls that might come in today. Um, my first question today comes from um, Dewey. And good to hear from you, Dewey. He says, hi, Pastor Ron. My Bible reading is in Second Chronicles 33, 10 through 20. Uh, in the scripture, King Manasseh follows the patterns of this world and led his nation into evil. However, Manasseh sincerely humbled himself and was forgiven by God when he realized he needed God's help. My Bible comments on this scripture that it's a terrible thing to do evil. And your Bible's right, it's a terrible thing to do evil. He continues, likewise, it's terrible to lead others to evil. That also is true. Then he says this, it gives a warning that we must be careful to never lead others into evil. I know that today we have many professing believers in leadership positions, but many are not really following God's path. What is your take on this message? Can a Christian, by doing evil, lead others into darkness? Um, Dewey, there's so much here. You know, I just taught, um, um, we're in in 2 Kings, I just taught on Manasseh's life. Uh, in in our study this past Wednesday, and we went into Second Chronicles thirty three, sort of for the rest of the story. So uh, this is a passage of scripture that's really fresh in my mind, 
and it just magnifies the grace of God. It is true. Manasseh was the worst king in Israel's history. Uh, he did horrible things. He shed much innocent blood. He worshipped false gods. He led others into evil. Uh, he did everything wrong that you could possibly do. A man who was, uh, had a great father, um, a man who uh, understood the power of God, a miracle of God. He was alive as a result of of the power of God and the miracle that he did, giving his father Hezekiah, who was a great king, uh, 15 extra years of life. And Manasseh, and we don't know why, do we, but Manasseh uh, just blew it. I mean, he went completely evil, and as I said a moment ago, did more evil than any who went before him. The amazing thing about this story is that um, in the Second Chronicles 33 passage, um, he gets saved. We're going to see Manasseh in heaven. Um, you know, God put him in his distress. I, I did a Bible study, Dewey, just this past Wednesday on this, and I recommend it to people, I think especially for parents and those who have their own prodigals, um, because God broke Manasseh. God absolutely broke Manasseh. And in his distress, he sought the Lord. He wasn't interested in seeking the Lord until things got really, really bad. And I think, Dewey, that as parents, we don't want to see our kids in distress, obviously. But too often, by bailing them out, we get in God's way, and we need to start thinking more in terms of, I want my child in heaven than I want my child to be happy here on earth. I think that's critical for us as parents to understand and agree with. Uh, as a leader, as a king of God's people, there's great accountability. Jesus said, too much is given, much is required. And the the, the, the idea there um, in Greek is much more is required. So he's really accountable. And he led uh, people to do great evil. And believe me, um, had he not turned to God and, and, and God, he greatly humbled himself, the, the passage says. Had he not turned to God, he would have he would have had some of the deepest, darkest parts of hell uh, that would have been reserved for him. But but you're right; uh, we can lead people in if if uh, you know people want to follow. Jesus called a sheep for a reason, and we want to follow somebody, but we got to choose who we follow very carefully, very wisely. And the the leader who leads people away from God, Jesus said, it would be better for such a man never to be born. It just just horrible accountability. Now let me also say this: You ask, uh, is it possible for professing believers um, to to do evil and lead others into darkness? Um, only God knows, Dewey, whether these people are really believers or not. Only God knows. He knows their heart, their motive. We try to figure it out, but we don't know. Here's what we do know, that not every spirit that says it's from God is from God. Likewise, not every messenger who says he or she is from God is from the Lord. And we can measure that according to the word of God. That's our plumb line. That's our standard of measurement and how we can know if somebody's teaching uh, that which is right or that which is, is wrong. And unfortunately, especially on the margins, weak or immature Christians, when a leader falls into sin, many times the people fall as well. So um, I, I would hate to stand before the Lord if I led people into sin or if I wasn't genuine in my walk with the Lord and, and it caused others to stumble. I would hate to stand before the Lord and see what my judgment was going to be. Again, only God knows if they're really his. Um, we don't know. We can't know. But fortunately, Galatians chapter 6 says God knows those who are his and he won't be mocked. Great passage, Dewey, in, in Second Chronicles. Let me also say what my church has heard many times over these past weeks in in uh, Second Kings. Um, the Second Kings account is sort of a historical perspective from the from the viewpoint of earth. But when you get to the Chronicles, God highlights the things that matter to him. So it's almost like God is looking down from heaven on the reigns of the kings and reporting on them from his position, from his uh, point of view. And that makes Second Chronicles so critically important. When I taught this the other day, on Wednesday, I, I did Second uh, Kings 21, verses 1 through 18, 
And uh, and I kept telling people, this is a very encouraging Bible study. Well, there's nothing in Second Kings 21, 1 through 18 that's encouraging. But then when you go to Chronicles 30, Second Chronicles 33, you get the rest of the story. And the rest of the story as it relates to uh, Manasseh is just absolutely wonderful. Dewey, thanks for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Anonymous. Pastor, I missed what you said yesterday about a denomination, COG, or Church of God. Uh, did you say that they were not biblical? Uh, we go to Church of God in Christ. Uh, there are certain things I feel that are not right. They have a bigger church leadership beyond the local church, and it seems they follow that more ritually than anything. They allow women to preach during regular Sunday services, uh, maybe 10% of the time, and stress regularly on tithes and offerings. Um, I have felt that when the whole leaders preach, it is encouraged, or I'm sorry, when the the male leaders preach. It has encouraged me mostly, but not quite. When the females preach, nothing wrong with the message, but it's like listening to just something on social media. What are your thoughts? I've been encouraged with your devotion to the Word and pray that the Lord continues to bless you, your wife, and everything you do abundantly. Thank you very, very much, um, Anonymous. I appreciate your blessings and your prayers more than you can possibly imagine. Uh, A couple of things. Church of God uh, and the Church of God in Christ is... They're not all the same. There are splits between the the, the churches that are affiliated with the denomination. Um, the Church of God in Christ, there are some Church of God in Christ that are cultics, and, and, and you want to stay away from those. Um, the problem is they're really not, even though their, their statement of faith says they are committed to the Word of God, they really aren't committed to the Word of God. They're out of order. They're wildly charismatic. They're Pentecostal uh, holiness group. They're very legalistic. They, they, they uh, in, in many cases, the Church of God in Christ pastors are um, Jesus only um, rather than, than a, a correct biblical view of, of uh, the Trinity. Um, that's not true for all Church of Gods or Church of Gods in Christ, but it is is true for many, and and that number I think is growing. And in, in particular, some of the more influential or larger Church of God in Christ um, denominations are uh, are committed to oneness Pentecostalism, and and simply that is a heretical viewpoint or or a heretical um, scholarship on on the Trinity and the role of God in the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Church of God in Christ is largely a black denomination. And, um, you know, that's unbalanced. It's it's uh, certainly not healthy. Uh, but you, you have to be really, really careful. Let me say this. Um, those Church of God in Christ who allow women to preach or call them pastors or co-pastors, um, are out of step with the Bible. It's that simple. And and the reason you feel sort of an emptiness when you're listening to them preach is because you understand that they're doing something on their own, in their own strength, not by the power of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit will not violate what he's already written us in his word. That's really important for you to understand. And people that go to those churches, many of them, most of them maybe, are really saved. They're really believers, but they're getting ripped off. They're, they're, they're settling for less than God's best, as are these churches. Again, only God knows the heart of the people who are committed uh, to, to those denominations. Um, but uh, much of what goes on in those churches um, truly is not... Um, godly. So um, they're a, a Trinitarian holiness Pentecostal denomination. They tend to be very legalistic. Uh, they they believe uh, in, in what they call entire sanctification, or we would say sinless perfection. And certainly that would be frustrating because it's simply not possible uh, in this world to, to live. We, we still have a sin nature that we've got to um, deal with. Uh, they believe that speaking in tongues is the sign of being filled or baptized in the Holy Spirit. We know that's not correct. Um, and uh, there's a lot of division that has been caused uh, by some of those things. Uh, and again, they do have female pastors in some of them, not all of them. 
uh, and that's fairly new uh, in the Church of God in Christ history uh, because their statement of faith, at least in the traditional denomination, their statement of faith says that women cannot be pastors, and yet when people do what they want to do, it doesn't really matter so much what they do. So be really careful. Uh, keep the discernment. And if I were you, I would be looking for a Bible teaching church, um, one where the practice of the church is consistent with the Word of God. And when you see things that are out of control or things that aren't right, then that's an indication that uh, God has a lot better for you than that. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you very, very much for your prayers. Appreciate it more than you know. We got a phone call, I'm told. Let's see. We got Ruben on line one from Seguin. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Pastor Ron, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you, Ruben. That's good. Pastor, uh, I just wanted to see if uh, I'm not going to ask a question. What I really wanted to do is, if it's okay with you, just ask for a petition for. Uh, not myself, not my family, but uh, for the for our brothers and sisters in Turkey and Syria. You know, um, this earthquake that happened and has taken so many lives. I just, you know, it's unbelievable. Uh, may I ask, you know, all the listening audience to to pray? Is that okay? Of course, you can. Yeah, I just uh, want to ask that. You know, we keep our Christian brothers and sisters and those that are not, um, that, you know, God will just have mercy and, and his grace and, and, and just be with those people that have lost loved ones. You know, over 21,000 lives have been taken, uh, but it's just a sign of the times. I mean, Look at what happened at the Grammys. You know, Satanism is running rampant in mainstream music. Mm-hmm. It is taking our youth, um, our young adults that listen to that music. And if you're a Christian and you're listening and uh, you listen to Beyonce and all of these other people, Jay-Z and all these other people, I will tell you, stop listening to that music because it's satanic. And um, we see it. We see it. And we have to pray. For those of you who don't think that Revelations is the truth and it speaks the truth, you know, you have to read it again. I mean, uh, this earthquake that happened, we need to pray for these people. So that's basically all I wanted to say today. I hope I made sense. You did. Um, I keep you in prayer and your wife. And I want to thank you. I was contacted by somebody, and that will get with me tomorrow, as a matter of fact. So I appreciate that, sir. I'll do it. Thank you, Reuben. God bless you. Uh, a couple of things. I, I don't want to correct Reuben on one thing, but we have to be careful about calling music satanic. Now, I understand that what happened on the Grammys was uh, Satan honoring for sure. Um, but, but you know, we, we want to be really careful about uh, being legalistic about music, there's certainly things that we shouldn't listen to as Christians. Um, my goodness, uh, the filthy language, the, the overt sex, uh, the things that our children are listening to, it, all of that is being used by the devil uh, to destroy our children. It's that simple, and, and, and he's the prince of the air. Um, but we, we, we can't paint with a broad brush, and by that I mean... Um, when I grew up, Elvis Presley was satanic. <laughs> that was the devil's music, and 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 you know it's just uh, it's it's always been that way. Um, we just have to be really careful about what we say regarding the earthquake. And Reuben is absolutely correct in this regard. Um, the Bible says that in the end times, these kinds of things will happen, and they will increase both in frequency and intensity. This um, uh, earthquake, and by the way, these are the the, uh, the the area around where the seven churches of Revelation are located in in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, um, they're they're increasing both in frequency and in intensity. This was an earthquake that was, I think, just under uh, 8.0, and and the death and destruction is unimaginable. Uh, when Reuben said 21,000, uh, that's just the beginning because as they start digging out, they're going to find more and more and more. 
And, um, you know, I'm not reading the newspaper with one hand and the Bible with the other hand, so please don't misunderstand. But when we see these things happen, we need to understand that these are signs of the times and God is trying to wake us up. Now, why Turkey? Well, remember, this is where the Church of Ephesus was founded. This is where uh, Smyrna and Laodicea and the others of the seven churches are located. Um, these are places where the Word of God went and made a powerful impact uh, in the days of the book of Acts uh, under the direction primarily of the Apostle Paul. And, um, you know, it doesn't take long for people to turn away from God. And that's exactly what's happened. So pray for them. Um, pray that the Word of God would come. I know there's a lot of Calvary chapels in that area uh, that are, are uh, people from the United States are going over for um, aid and relief um, to, to share the Word of God, to help out however they can. Um, but, but these things are going to keep happening, and we're, we're just getting started. Um, here's something you can all write down. Jesus is coming soon. And all we have to do is look around at the condition of this world, and you know that it's the truth. Thank you, Ruben. Appreciate your heart. This is from Nacho from our email inbox. He says, "Good afternoon, Pastor Ron. Uh, I was reading first. I'm sorry, Second Timothy, chapter four, verses three and four, and a picture struck me, or yeah, struck me about how accurate Paul was when he told Timothy about how people will be able to gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. It sure draws a picture of today's out of control and abused Christian media." where so-called preachers can reach out to the world with their myths and untruths and how anybody can gather these so-called many teachers to their heart's delight. Do you think Paul is talking about his day uh, that he was actually, or that he was actually prophesying about today, or is this more of an observation or prediction? You know, Nacho, I think that this is something that was um, obvious in Paul's day, and it's obvious in our day and has been obvious and prevalent in every church culture throughout the 2,000-year history of the church. In other words, there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, it wasn't long. We know that the Apostle Paul uh, was under attack uh, when he was in prison. He was under attack when things weren't going well. And they had prosperity teachers in their day, too, people that would say things like, well, well, if Paul was really serving God, he would not be um in in uh, in jail um and um imagine if they really were saved imagine uh, how they would explain that when they stood before the lord in the apostle paul's presence as well uh, but the idea is people want to hear good news you know the gospel is good news well we want things to go well for us we want things to go uh, our way we want things to to uh, feel good and what we will do is we will find Bible teachers who will tell us, hey, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Okay, I name that or I claim it. And um, the reality is they forget all about what the Bible really teaches and what the Bible really says. So, Nacho, I think this is just something that was going on. It obviously turns out to be prophetic because because it's been happening throughout the church history. Um, but it was happening way back then as well. I think he was, by the power of the Holy Spirit, addressing a, an issue that he was he was dealing with, but but also an issue that would persist throughout the history of the church. I think we need to be really, really careful because we've got those men and women, unfortunately, in our church culture today. They don't want to deal with sin. Uh, biggest church in my state, Texas. Um, um, you know, his his calling, he says, is to make people feel good about themselves, to, 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 to build them up and to tell them how much God loves them without ever mentioning sin, without ever preparing them for the hard times to come. In fact, they teach that if you have enough faith, um, you won't um, have to deal with, with uh, the, the trials and tribulations of life. And all of that, of course, is contrary to what Jesus told us. Uh, I know a, a, uh, a young man who was a pastor in a Baptist denomination for quite some time. And um, he has, has, because he was taught that the things that, uh, you know, God loves you, God won't let you go through hard things. Uh, now that he's going through these hard things, his faith is just absolutely shipwrecked. 
That's the problem with bad teaching. It destroys people, Nacho. It destroys our hopes. I say all the time that there's only one thing worse than no hope at all, and that's false hope. When somebody is dealing with false hope, what happens is that when they crash and burn, then they turn completely away from the Lord. And that's what these guys are doing. So to everybody out there, not you, you and everybody else, find a church where the Bible is taught verse by verse, chapter by chapter, in context, and you can always tell a church it's healthy, a church is teaching the whole counsel of God, which the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians, if you die, your blood's not on my head because I didn't fail or, or I, I didn't fail to teach you the whole counsel of God. And the only way you can do that, and you can see a church that's alive, you can see a spirit-filled church, not by the goosebumps, but by the fruit coming from people's lives. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in our week. My goodness, time is flying. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Friday edition of The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Friday show, 340-9585. Here's a question from Ron from our email inbox. He says, Matthew 1240, the scripture is not correct. <laughs> now I'm laughing. Um, I think I know who this Ron is. I'm laughing uh, because I imagine the audacity to say Scripture's not correct. And then he says, Jesus went in the tomb three days and two nights. The Bible says from his death to his resurrection was about 40 hours, maybe exactly 40 hours since Jesus is God, and the number 40 appears 157 times in the Bible. Ron, you never cease to amaze me how you can twist things out of context. Um, the Bible doesn't say anything at all about uh, 40 hours in terms of Jesus um, from his death to his resurrection. Um, it doesn't say anything at all about 40 hours. There's no time frame to follow. And in fact, um, the scripture is not incorrect. Let me read this to you, to everybody. This is what Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 says. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, what Ron just did was say that Jesus was unbiblical, that Jesus was wrong, and that the Scripture is incorrect. Um, how that, That's the height of arrogance. The height of arrogance. We know, first of all, Jesus can't be wrong. Secondly, we know that the Word of God is literally the Holy Spirit pushing the pins of men. We know it is inerrant, it is infallible. So anybody who would say the Scripture is wrong uh, is uh, is really, really, really struggling with the sin of pride and of arrogance. A couple of things, and this is why we are to be workmen, workwomen, rightly dividing the Word of God, because you've got to understand what. Jesus was saying, and you also have to understand the Jewishness of the context of what he was saying. I say often Jesus' ministry was to Israel. It was very, very Jewish. And we have to study to understand those things. That doesn't mean we have to become Jewish. It just means we've got to understand what the author is trying to communicate. As Matthew writes that, he's making a point. Now, in the Jewish mindset, um, three days and three nights was a way of saying three days. We wouldn't say it that way. We might say, and remember, the, the, the daytime or the, the, the Jewish day begins uh, at dusk. Um, that, that's the, the early hours. What we call nighttime, graveyard shift, that's morning for, for, from a Jewish perspective. But it's just a Jewish way of saying three days. 
And so what we know, and, and you can go through the, the gospel accounts and, and, and figure this out. Um, Jesus was uh, crucified on a Friday, placed in the tomb. He was in that tomb for part of Friday. He was in that tomb pretty much all day Saturday. And then he was in that tomb in the morning on Sunday. And any part of a day is considered um, a day. So uh, there's nothing contradictory about that. Certainly there isn't anything at all that is um, um, incorrect about it. Uh, All we have to do is study. All we have to do is study. Now, uh, to this caller, the the person who sent the question, Ron, um, you're probably not interested in this because you don't like to be confused by facts. But for the rest of us, let me recommend one of the great books uh, about the life and ministry of Jesus uh, ever written. It's called The Life and Times of the Messiah by by Arthur Edersheim, E-D-E-R-S-H-E-I-M. And it follows Jesus' life from the very beginning all the way to the end and does so chronologically, combining all of the scripture accounts. Now, it's not easy reading. I mean, it's, 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 it's difficult in terms of scholarship. But it is wonderful, and personally, I think it is an absolute must in everybody's um, uh, library, um, especially if they're Bible teachers. Um, it's just something that you can't do without. The Life and Times of the Messiah by uh, Arthur Edersheim. By the way, it's free. Um, Ron from Converse Cohen, and he said, hello, not the Ron from the email uh, who said the scripture was incorrect. I know, Ron, you've called enough. We know your heart, and we know the way you think, so no problem with that. You know, this is the second day to arrive. I've had people say, or or, or Wednesday was the other day, um, that wasn't me, that was... Don't worry about it. God knows it wasn't you. And there's a lot of common names. So I appreciate it, Ron, very, very much. And thank you for saying hello. Here is a question from our email inbox. This one is from a perplexed husband. When I get these kind of titles, I'm I'm, I'm thinking, "Uh uh-oh, what's going on? Pastor Ron, the other day my wife and I, and then he says 10 years married and two children, ran into an ex-girlfriend from 15 years ago. I introduced them and we started to talk about Jesus. My wife was quiet and before we departed, my ex offered us to have her number so that one day we could fellowship. I immediately asked my wife to save her number. I didn't think there was um, a reason for me to have it, so I asked her. We got into the car. My wife asked me about saving her number and said, you want to stay in contact? I responded and said, maybe you can speak to her and bring her closer to the Lord. My wife deleted the number and didn't want to speak to her. Is it appropriate what she did? Should I have saved her number and invited her over to our house? My thought is that even though we talked about Jesus, I didn't think she, I guess the wife, was was representing Jesus Oh, no, the the, the the ex-girlfriend. I didn't think she was representing Jesus by the way she was dressed and the way she looked. Not judging, but I can sense my wife got the same thing. What are your overall thoughts? Perplexed husband. I say this in love. I think you're a confused husband. Your wife's problem wasn't not wanting to save the number. Your wife didn't want to have anything to do with your ex-girlfriend. And the one thing that we need to do always, men, is make our wives safe and secure. So to ask her to save the number and contact, maybe we can get together, maybe we can invite her to church, we can do this or we can do that. Your wife doesn't want anything to do with your ex-girlfriend. And so out of respect for her, you should have understood. You should have said, do you have a problem with this? This is something we ought to be able to talk about. Do you have a problem with this? And and if she says yes, then you honor that. Um, you know, Paula always carries our church cards. Always carries our church cards. And we talk to a lot of people wherever we go. And she's giving out the cards, and she's the one doing it. Now, um, if, well, an ex-girlfriend, we've been together 53 years, so there's no such thing as an ex-girlfriend uh, for me. But, but you know, I, I want my wife to be comfortable in the Song of Solomon. 
uh, two times. There is a, a line that says, um, speaking of Solomon, but, but I think more importantly for us, speaking of Jesus and us, his left arm was around her waist, his right arm was behind her neck. And it's, it's, it's an, a physical um, um, position in the act of lovemaking. And the idea is there that she felt safe and secure in his arms. And for you to be talking to an ex-girlfriend uh, when your wife is obviously uncomfortable um, is, is uh, I think, a, a little dull towards her sensitivities. So it's just you, you were in a position that you shouldn't have put either one of you. If you run into her, oh, hi, it's good to see you again. Uh, we got to go kind of thing. Um, and, and then, and then, if if you leave, um, and and you can talk to your wife now, you ought to talk to your wife. See, did that make you uncomfortable because it was an ex girlfriend? And and listen to her. Just listen to her. I know you wanted to rightly represent the Lord. It really sounds in your email like your heart is innocent, but remember, we're still human beings. And there are insecurities. What I would have done if that were me and Paula, I would have said, Paula, did I do something there that made you uncomfortable? Because I don't ever want to make you uncomfortable. So please forgive me. And then you'd had the opportunity. She said, yes, I was uncomfortable being around an ex-girlfriend. Then I would have said, well, all I wanted to do, my heart was in the right place. But I'm sorry, I won't put you in that position again. But it's one of the things that you can talk to her about. And in the process of talking to her, uh, you can gain her trust over a period of time. Explain your heart to her. Explain what you were doing. Uh, and, and regarding this girl's dress, you, you know, after 15 years ago, you don't know uh, how long she's been with the Lord. You don't know anything about her. So um, just be gracious. Just be gracious. Don't worry about judging anybody's heart. Just be sensitive to your wife's feelings and uh, that will open an opportunity for the two of you to talk. Now, let me say one other thing here, and this is for every husband uh, and wife out there. I think when things like this happen, it provides a wonderful opportunity for you to talk about things so that issues can get worried about uh, or, or get dealt with. Um, Paula never worries about about me being with another woman or or talking to another woman um, because she knows my heart. And, and when we're reading the Bible together, uh, we can talk about these things. But here's one of the things that you could do. You could say, okay, let's talk about this. And I want to emphasize the best time to do this is after you've read the Bible together. Let the Holy Spirit sort of take over. You can say, um, you, you know, I, I really hope that she gets saved. I really hope that she knows the Lord. I really, whatever the, the whatever is appropriate. But if she's uncomfortable, you can say, Let's grow from this. How can I help you to trust my heart? I didn't want anything to do with my ex-girlfriend. There was no reason to be jealous, but I want to be really, really clear. You are my first priority, and making you comfortable comes before my need to share. God doesn't need you to share with the woman that makes your wife uncomfortable. Um, Jealousy is part of the flesh. We've got it. So... You and your wife together walk through that situation so that you can move on from it and grow together. And it's a wonderful thing when, you know, I'm a hugger. I hug everybody. Uh, We go to restaurants. Servers come and hug on me, men and women. And, um, you know, uh, Paula knows my heart. I know she's not uncomfortable. Uh, so I, I hope that helps. We, we Husbands and wives need to talk about these things and save them and do so with no persuasion or pressure at all. It's a little bit of pressure to apply when you say, well, you know, mature Christians, we ought to be sharing Jesus and we shouldn't be worried about those things. Deal with what the situation is and then the two of you can move on from it, but you've got to deal with these things and resolve them. Thank you for that question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Jason asks the question: 
Is serving in the military as a Christian a contradiction? No, Jason, it's not. God obviously had his people uh, serving in the military from the very beginning. Uh, Go back to the Canaan um, uh, campaign in the Old Testament. Um, there there are wars worth fighting. There are wars that are holy, wars that are just. Um, Now, typically in our culture, um, it's wars are not just. But um, you do your job. The Bible doesn't say do not kill. It says do not murder. That's the commandment. And that's a premeditated murder of someone. And, and uh, Jason, the, the, those who serve in the military, I would also extend the answer to this question to police officers. Um, sometimes when you have to use deadly force and there's no contradiction at all uh, when you've sworn to do your duty uh, as, a, as a, a Christian, you've got to keep your word. If your duty involves going to war, um, then you go to war. If you can no longer conscience doing your job, then it is your responsibility to resign uh, and and let people know why. But just don't let emotions or um, um, woke arguments. Um, well, you know, you can't kill if you God is love. Wars, death, killing has always been a part of the history of this world and will be until Jesus comes back. And by the way, Jason, when Jesus comes back, we're going to be with him and he's going to destroy all of his enemies with a word. With a word. That will be the most just, the holiest war in the history of the world and Jesus will be the one leading it. Thank you for the question. May wants to know, she said, my husband wants to be cremated because of the cost of funerals. I'm worried he won't get to heaven if he does this. What do you say? May, I'm also going to be cremated because I think spending thousands of dollars on this old, dead, worn out, tired tent is absurd. I think that's a sin. And um, um, the Bible doesn't say anything about how to be buried Culturally, we know that they were thrown into tombs uh, in Jesus' day. Um, but we also know that bodies were burned. We know that that um, um, bodies were destroyed by wild animals. Um, it's something that God doesn't speak about. So uh, your husband is being wise. If he dies first, he's saving you time, money, and trouble. And I promise you, God can make everything, put it all back together in an instant, so uh, don't worry about being cremated. Um, you know, we got bodies lost at sea. Um, this ocean burials uh, in, in the military, most notably the Navy and the Coast Guard. Um, God have no problem getting those bodies. And how you deal with this old tent has nothing to do with your position in heaven. So please don't worry. That is an emotional response but it is not a biblical response. And let me say again, May, that the cost of funerals, the amount of money we spend because of these superstitious ideas that the world has is obscene. It is absolutely obscene. Uh, I have seen way too many people um, who, in the middle of their grief, dragged into funeral homes and sold like they're selling used cars Uh, sold everything in the kitchen sink and making people feel guilty if they don't go for it. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So do it cheap, get it done, and don't be a burden. Once you're gone, you're going to be with Jesus and the ones that we leave behind. uh, We want to make their life easier and not more difficult. Here's a question from Kelly. She says, Romans 11 says that Jews will be saved. Uh, I'm sorry, I left out a word. Romans 11 says that Jews will all be saved. Is that true even if they don't believe in Jesus? No, Kelly, it is not true. Um, In Romans chapter 9, Paul says, not Israel is Israel. To play on the name Israel, it means governed by God. And what Paul is saying is just because somebody's Jewish doesn't mean they're governed by God. So not all Jews, uh, all Israel is Israel. And the reason he can say that is because uh, the condition of their heart is hard and rebellious against God. 
So, no, all Jews will not be saved. Now, we also know, and Romans 11 refers to this, that on the day uh, when Jesus appears and Jews get saved, there will be a remnant, um, um, all true Jews, uh, those whose hearts uh, are torn, um, rendered by uh, the appearance of Jesus Christ. They will come to faith in Jesus Christ and thus will get to heaven. But Jews do not go to heaven just because they're Jews, because God had an initial covenant with Abraham, um, everybody goes to heaven because they're born again in Jesus Christ. Some will be that last minute portion. You can read about that in Zechariah, uh, Ezekiel. Um, a day is coming when that will be true. Um, but but not all ethnic Jews, Jews born uh, to a certain religion or a certain ethnicity, it doesn't mean they'll be saved because their sin, their sin is not been saved. Uh, Jesus answered it to uh, Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can enter into the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. And of course, that's referring to the uh, the born again experience. He was speaking to Nicodemus. So very simply, uh, Jews uh, need Jesus just as much as we do. Kelly, one of the tragedies is that there are a lot of um, evangelicals, a lot of um, um, non-Catholics who who um, who, who, who pr- promote a, um, a non-proselytizing approach to Israel and to Jews uh, because they believe that they are under a different covenant and don't need Jesus, and uh, that's not true. If that were true, uh, what Paul wrote at the first four verses of Romans chapter 9 would be completely unnecessary. Um, and it would render Jesus, of course, um, as a liar. Um, one example, the obvious example, is Judas, who was very, very Jewish. And Jesus said he was a son of perdition from the beginning. So it would be better that he'd never been born. Deepest, darkest blackness is reserved for him. So Jews need Jesus just like everybody else. Anthony says... What does it mean that God said he is the I am? He's timeless, so I don't get the reference. Well, Anthony, that is the reference. Um, He didn't say I was or I will be. He said I am. God lives in the present, and he's always in the present. And because he's in the present, um, that's why he referred to himself. That's the, the name of God that nobody knows, Yahweh, Jehovah. I am that I am. And, and and that's because he is outside of time and space. God always lives in the present. That's really important for us to understand. But that's exactly his reference. Jesus was saying that, uh, and by the way, Jesus said he, he made several I am statements and, and his listeners understood that he was claiming to be God. Uh, when Jesus made his I am statements, what he was saying is, I was before Abraham. And Abraham rejoiced to see my day. How can you, a man not yet 50 years old, say that you were before Abraham? And I think Jesus just smiled and winked at him at that point. Because the point is, I've always been here. I will always be here. And everything is now to God. We live in, 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 in with the limits of time and space. But God, God does not. This Anthony is one of my favorite titles of God. Because it, it, it promises so much. Now, I always get criticized when I say this, um, but this is not heresy. This is just me thinking out loud. Um, you know, when, when people die, uh, we, we see marriages for decades, and, and one of the, the, the partners in the marriage dies. And we're so sad. You know, well, he went first, and what's she going to do? Or she went first, and what he's going to do? Uh, I, I really believe with all of my heart that because God is outside of time and space, when I get to heaven, if I was to die uh, after Paula, she dies and then I die. I think when Paula got to heaven, if she was first, she'd see I was already there. If I die first, she's already going to be there, even though she's alive on this earth. God is outside of time and space. And that's just my musing. Again, that's not heresy. I'm not saying you got to make doctrine. This isn't essential of our faith. 
But I have spent so much time thanking God for, praising God for, and contemplating what what real timelessness means. And I love that with all of my heart. We're doing a funeral service a week from tomorrow, a memorial service. And, um, you know, we, we because we are linear in our thinking, um, you know, the, the husband in this particular case went to be with the Lord uh, a few years ago. And um, the wife went to be with Jesus just this week. And uh, I, I think they've been in heaven together from the beginning. So... Uh, I, I just I, I just love thinking about those things. So don't say I'm a heretic or anything. I'm not. But uh, um, just I love thinking about his timelessness. Great question. I didn't realize that we're down to that kind of time already in this day. Let me see what I've got. I've got a real quick one for one minute. Um, I'll come back to this one next week. But Margie says, my husband doesn't want to lead what do I do? Margie, you follow Jesus and force him to lead. Don't ever take the lead. Don't ever usurp authority. Just explain to him that it's his responsibility before God. And what you're going to do is follow Jesus. And I'm going to come back with this because I think it's really, really important uh, for um, to think about, to really, really dig into. Hey, well, there's the music. Our week is over. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful weekend at church. May the Lord um, give you opportunity after opportunity to be a blessing to others. Tonight, here at Calvary Chapel, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. May the Lord bless you and keep you. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.